and amen. I felt a little bit biblical this morning as I was um, having a great time talking with my friend whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and who's in the room right now. And we were just talking about the decisions and the reality of what that faced. And it's it's been an up and down week on this. And I love her simplicity of words. I just simply said, I've watched the disciples in times of extraordinary challenge simply ask the Lord for a peace that surpasses and a boldness that comes only from him. And I love her answer. I've already prayed that. And the Lord has put a spirit of boldness in my soul. I am praying today as we um, speak for the next few moments on the 63rd chapter of the book of Psalms that there will be a bold humility among us. That's that's my prayer. As we speak for the next few moments that there would be a holy, God-centered reliance upon Him as we seek to fulfill, I think, what was a simple request, but I think that's it's it's not a new request. For me, it was just a new weightiness, which is really a perspective of glory. The Greek word literally means it's weighty. A new weightiness when someone looks at me and says, I need you to be my family. I need you to walk this journey with me. I just felt a whole new sense of what it means to be the body of Christ. I I wish um, that that had been my only perspective of that, but this yesterday and throughout the last few weeks, um, burying a good friend of mine and being able to stand in the midst of that and speak hope and Jesus in the midst of extraordinary challenge yesterday lent to me a sense of weightiness that there is um, there is a call of God in the heart of the church to be family. To not walk in and put on our airs or our front and say this is what's good, but to walk in with all of our wounds, all of our hurts, all of our worship, all of our blessings and all of the favor of God and to meet one another right here where we are and say we're family and with all of that mess that we just walked into the room with, we joined 350 other people with bags full of mess and we're going to pursue the only one who 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 holds it all together and who actually pulls the mess out and just pieces it together as a mosaic of his grace. And so in, in all this mess that's in this room right now, despite the fact that some of us have tried to put it together and walk in and say we're good, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will just step in and speak life and speak hope. I was listening to a song this past week. This series is called Psalms or Songs and just they speak life to me. I was listening to a song that gave me my three primary points. And so if you see them on the screen, they're absolutely not my thoughts. Um, I was listening to a song called Resurrected and that song has just gotten into my Spotify playlist as I'm running every day. I just kind of keep hitting, oh, come to the altar and resurrect it over and over. And just kind of running for a while and processing this. And I I was listening to the song and I just thought of these words as I was preparing this message. By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. And I want to just kind of share a little bit of my heart and a, a journey of my own um, landing us in just a few minutes in the 63rd chapter of Psalm because honestly my heart is irrelevant unless it is pasted against the reality and truth of Scripture. And so I want to share a bit about a journey. Our, um, a professor that I had at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary's name was Don Wilton. And he said these words, and I've never forgotten them, pastors 
as I teach and equip you that which is most personal is most universal. And I want to share a bit of a personal journey for me for a few moments of God's faithfulness. And uh, I've shared this two other times and he felt free to be himself and to draw many people into a legitimate, beautiful faith community in a more in-depth way. 20 years ago, I was um, leading a student ministry. I wish it was 20. I started adding, Ryan, and it was really quite depressing. So it was like 20 years ago. That sounded like a long time. And then I went, wait, that was 24 years ago now. Wow. I know. It just breaks my heart, Doc. And so uh, I was leading this ministry in Crestview, Florida, and I was a part of it, and hopefully I was just kind of following Jesus, and he was leading the ministry. That would have been my goal, and I think that was what was happening. And it was, um, I was also in the midst of going to seminary and learning from guys like Dr. Wilton, and it was an incredible, beautiful ministry in the midst of a hurting and toxic church. And so we, um, we were just seeing God do extraordinary things among us. Um, I was watching students week in and week out come to Jesus, and that was just beautiful, and I was, more importantly, watching um, not solely students come to Jesus, I was watching students turn around and lead more students to Jesus. And I, over a period of about three years, believe it or not, I think you should believe it, because you know Ryan, he can swing a sledgehammer. I haven't seen him lately. But when he was young, I mean, over a series of three years, we renovated the place that we were meeting in five times. Because God was just sending folks that way who were discovering rich and robust relationship with Jesus and what it meant to fall in love with him. And it was just an extraordinary season of life. And um, I think that for me, one of the most um, amazing nights that I've ever experienced um, in teaching, and I was standing in the room, we were in the midst of a renovation, I was standing wall to wall with students, I was sweating bullets, because I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have the gift of sweating anyway. And so it doesn't even have to be, you know, hot for me. I can be 60 degrees and I'm still going to break a sweat. That's passed down from my father. And so um, I was standing in that room and I'm pouring sweat and I'm speaking the word out over students and I'm loving this and they're just sitting and their scripture is open, their passion is clear because there were no apps back then. There weren't even cell phones back then. Go to the beeper days. And no student carry that. And so I'm just sitting in and they're just kind of sitting and harboring in the word of God and I am preaching my heart out and just hopefully drawing people to the ultimate relationship with Jesus and I glanced to my left and I had a New Testament experience because Ryan no kidding the windows were open in the room we had the pool tables and I looked out the windows and there are four air conditioning units lined up and there are students standing in the windows listening to the word of God I was like, oh, wow, like, can we bust these windows out in days ahead just because of the hunger of the body of Christ and the body of believers as they were just being drawn to relationship with him. And it was such, for that moment, I just stopped and said, this is so much bigger than anything that could be pulled off by anyone, God. This is you. This is your glory. And I love you for being so gracious to draw students to yourself. I had one of the adults say to me, um, it was a little town, Crestview, if you've ever been there, it's this beautiful hamlet in the panhandle of Florida. It's the county seat for Destin. Enough said. Um, it's beautiful. And so, uh, I, I, but one of our friends just said, Mark, my favorite moment is an older man, Mr. Bass. He just went to be with the Lord. But Mr. Bass lived just a few streets down and he said, my favorite time of night now. 
I can't look at you or I'll cry all day. But my favorite time of night now is to sit on my rocker at 5 o'clock on Wednesday night because the streets are flooded with every beautiful color of kid walking. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, Mark. And then I realized they're walking to our church. And it was so cool. It was really an incredible time. And I was experiencing this and I was experiencing it in the midst of, uh, did you hear me mention it was an extraordinarily toxic church. It was a really painful adventure. And I was, we were watching kids of all color and all socioeconomic status and all walks of life. And I mean, we, this is one of the beautiful things that God did. And so if you want to see God move, have probation and parole call you and say, can we bring our three vans of kids in who are in an in-house network so that they can meet Jesus? Cause we see Jesus there. And so we had vans of kids coming in, and here's, here's what I started to hear, and it confused me, and it hurt my heart, and I started to hear, we're, we're reaching some kids that we shouldn't reach, or those aren't our kind. And I, I had this extraordinary confusing moment, because I really like the Bible. An extraordinarily confusing moment because I was kind of reading the Great Commission and I was reading Acts 1-8 and I, I didn't know how to answer people who were beginning increasingly to share voices like those aren't our kind, meaning that may not be our color or that may not be our socioeconomic status because we're a prestigious church in this community. And I'm like, well, I think prestigious in the... Prestige in the economy of Jesus is poverty, is passion, is heart. So I just asked our pastor, Brother Fran, who to this day is one of my favorite people on the planet. I just said, would you mind if I got to speak? Because I'd like to understand this. And I, I, so when you come to me and say some things like this, I'm just going to ask questions like this. So in light of, so this is what I asked one Sunday evening, in light of the great commandment of going and making disciples of all nations, and in light of and discipling them and baptizing them and in light of Acts 1-8 to go into our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm utterly confused by some things I'm hearing. So um, if you could help me understand who isn't our people according to Scripture, I'll stop reaching them. And it was, I mean, I was not trying to be a jerk. I promise it was with humble heart I came and asked that question. And I began to say it this way. I said, and if, if you would allow me to just unpack this thought, we really want to reach our Jerusalem, the students who are immediately around this community. We want to step out and carry our students into the community. And we were doing that to go in Judea. And we want to go into the most hurting places of greater Crestview. And we ended up with, what, 18, 20 teams going into these extraordinary hurting places, whatever you know, hood you have in Christview, we sent our kids in and just said, let's go there with the gospel. And then we wanted to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so I was asking our people that Sunday night, and if those any of those trouble you, and what I really seem to be hearing is you're Samaria. And so what I see Jesus saying is that it's not another region of the world, if you will. It's the people that you hate with all of your heart. And so let me know what people you hate that we can't go to that according to scripture says fully go. And I know that many of you have had the unfortunate privilege or an unfortunate um, heartache to be raised by some people who have taught you to hate a certain ethnicity or people or poverty level. Can I just tell you that that is nowhere in the heart of God and in fact shatters his heart. His heart moves toward the broken, moves toward the poor, moves toward the poor in spirit. He created all nations, tongues, and tribes and people. So should you ever have the privilege of asking me why we should be reaching a certain people, I will be utterly confused by that question. 
So I was sitting in the midst of this toxic movement, but yet this extraordinary movement of God, and some things began to happen that I, uh, Psalm 63 really began to work because I was praying so much. I mean, it was, wasn't, I want you to hear this. It wasn't that there was some spiritual bereft part of my life. But as God was blessing and seeing his hand, I also began to lose sleep. A lot. I was sleepless. And I started to feel restless all the time. And I began to have these weird things like my heart would start racing. And I was visiting ERs for off and on going, I don't know what's happening, but this is beating faster than it should. And I just began to feel like I was dying or I was going to pass out all the time. I mean, I was struggling and I, I couldn't, I said this, I couldn't sleep, I lost weight, which I would take that today, according. I was increasingly desperate and I just don't say any of this lightly. It was bad. And I wish I could say it was bad back then, but it's a bad part that God has allowed to stay in my life to this moment. I so respect and love Paul because I think I've described mine too in detail. In fact, my notes were a little more sketchy. I love Paul because here's what Paul said, and this is where I had to ultimately come to and say this to the Lord. Paul said, there's a thorn that you've placed in my life, Lord, and I would love for you to remove it. I would count a joy not to have to wake up and have my heart race today. I would count a joy not to wake up and have to deal with this stressor today. Lord, I would like to lay down and sleep more than an hour and wake back up. But God, if you choose to lose the, use, leave this thorn in my side, I will trust you because I know this much. You are causing me to rely upon you in unprecedented ways. And I trust you. And I, here's what I love about Paul. He never said, hey, by the way, this is my thorn. And so those of you walking through a physical or illness, just know that God will and may use that, and you may never get better, and yet he will draw you to himself. Some of you in this room are walking through a point where you listen to everything I just said, and when I've been there, I have been in the midst of the darkness. I am walking that journey, and I'm walking it today. Thank you for sharing this. Let me just tell you, I don't come guaranteeing you that he will move it. I come guaranteeing you that he will walk with you in it. That he will walk in the middle of this valley of the shadow and we will fear no evil for the Lord our God is with us. And in the midst of that, Susan and I lost our first child in the womb. Just kind of throwing more and more into the picture. There were times when I couldn't focus, when I couldn't read, my mind wouldn't slow down, and so I just would hold scripture in my hand because I knew there was authority in this, and I knew there was wonder in this, and I would hold this dear and say, oh Lord, that your word would find root in my heart in this moment when I can't seem to find any other roots, you are my system, Lord. And I would just often in the middle of the nights, in the watches of the night, as David described them, lay in the midst of our floor, holding the word of God near. And these words would echo from my heart. Help, Lord. As I was reading another testimony of someone who's walked through this, he pointed out Job 35.10. It should pop up on the screen, and it's such a beautiful reality of how God guided me through these steps in this process. And it just simply says these words, God gives us songs in the night. 
And I love a Lord who meets us in the very depths of our night. And I realize fully as we study a series called Psalms, I really felt today to come and to be very vulnerable and real with you and to say, God is a God who is faithful. And I know this because we are promised this, that universally across this room, you are either in the midst of a night, coming out of the night, or walking toward a night. And I want to come and say to you, our God will give you songs in the night. He will faithfully meet you where you are. And by his spirit, I will rise from the ashes. My nights didn't go away. But God gave me songs in the night. I really had a hard time. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I don't even fault this to any of my character makeup. It was just dealing with, first of all, I didn't know churches could be toxic. That was new to me because I grew up in a healthy one. And I didn't realize church people could be as mean-spirited as they are if they know Jesus. It didn't seem accurate. So it just kind of, all of it threw me off. And so I just began to say, Lord, I want to meet you in this. And I was struggling to pray to hold my concentration. And so I was going to do this with Maddie's guitar. And I think I'll pass and spare you this. Although I didn't spare my wife this. Um, she would just kind of stay in the room, shut the door, and put in earplugs. But um, I just, I just began to meet God with songs in the night. And I would pick up a guitar, and I wasn't playing any song I knew. And back then, I actually played the guitar a good bit. Ryan can vouch for this. I led worship. That's a horrifying thought, but somehow God used it anyway. But I would just pick up the guitar in the midst of the night, and I would pick out and sing prayers in the middle of the watches of the night, just crying out to the Lord. And I would sing swatches of Scripture that I knew. I would sing like this truth that, God, you are my refuge and strength. You are a help in the midst of this peril and the struggle. God, be still my soul, for you are a healer and you will meet me where you are. Oh, Father, be good in this moment. Your love, oh Lord, became a refrain of mine. It is unfailing love, and I promise you that I would well on the guitar and just sing with all my heart because it was the place of songs in the midst of that night of my soul. Jesus just met me there. My heart turned not to, this is so dissatisfying, Lord, but my heart turned to this, oh God, I'm finding you to be satisfaction in a world that lends very little. And I am finding that my hope and my trust is in you, oh God. By your spirit, I will rise from these ashes. I can tell you that it's nothing like it was for me in 1996, but I can also tell you that God continues to put things in my life that compel me to fully and utterly rely on him. Thorns. And in the middle of those thorns, I sing songs in the night. And so should you. Here's the second line from Resurrected. In your name, I come alive to declare your victory, Lord. Psalm 63, verse 1, really just speaks to this reality. In your name, Lord, I come alive. I found God to be faithful when I could lay in a fetal position in my den and somehow wake up to all of those masses that would come walking down the streets that I described. And somehow I would wake up and walk into a room and by the powered spirit of God, step up and declare his glory and then go back home and say, oh no, I can make another five minutes, Lord. But in your spirit, I will rise from the ashes. And by your spirit and through your name, I will declare the victory. 
If you were in a dark place or in a night, can I just share this for you? And not many pastors preach this sermon. I realized that the first time I spoke this at First Baptist Crestview, you know, I just kind of hung out there for two hours talking to people afterwards because not many people say things like this. There's two things you should hold on to in this very moment if you're in the middle of a night. Number one, you're not crazy. And number two, you're not alone. Church people come and hide this stuff left and right. And I promise you that in this room, there are a myriad of people who are walking through their own night, much like I am sharing right now. You're not crazy and you're not alone. And the greatest thing that Satan does in the midst of this healing process as we are a family of faith pursuing the healer of our soul, the greatest thing Satan does to churches, and he does it across churches, is this. I want you to put on a facade. I want you to walk this alone. I want you to be strong. I want you to make it. I want you to be tough. And the Lord says, I want you to be weak. I want you to be humble. I want you to be reliant. I want you to be family. And I want you to do this together. And God comes in his spirit to allow you in the middle of this room to declare victory. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, Psalm 63, 1 says. My soul thirsts for you and my body longs for you. Where? In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I come and I ask of you to allow me to live and declare your victory in a dry and weary land where there's very little water. Paul is describing here what I wish all believers would be, vulnerability and reality. You're not alone. You're not crazy. There seems to be a dearth of water here. He is it. Pursue him together. I don't come pleading with you to do better or be stronger. If you haven't heard that from me yet, I come pleading with you to pursue faith in Jesus and to sing songs in the night. As I read this, I think of Psalm 84, 6, which come like up, comes up on the screen right now. One of my favorite verses, as you pass through the valley of Baca. Just pause there. This is the valley of suffering. This is the valley of sorrow and grief. This is the valley of the night. This is what you're supposed to do. Make it a place of springs. And the spring may come in several fashions. The autumn rains may pour it like a pool. I just brought my little handy-dandy shovel, or actually Mark Powell did for me. But when we come to these moments and we're just wrestling and your brain won't even shut off enough for you to sleep, just come with your shovel and bring a guitar or bring your heart or bring your voice and just begin to sing, You, God, are my healer and shove the spade into the ground and wait an hour or two or three days and then sing it again. I don't know where you are in this moment. Sometimes it takes us so long to get through that first song of worship. God, you're a healer and I'm going to dig here 
And we come again back to him and we just sing it again. Oh God, I am struggling to believe this again. But you are a healer. You are my refuge. You are my strength. And we are working our way around in the heart of our worship, lifting up holy hands, holy hearts, holy voices, and holy song to him. So that at some point we are just digging it into the soil. It has been a barren soil. It has been a painful journey. And you strike water in the very first time you strike it, your heart just fills and you sing again. And you dig more. My declaration of victory in this moment is not that I have come and finally been healed, praise the Lord, and somebody slapped me on the forehead. It's not my declaration to you. I come telling you that I can, I have met the Lord in the very essence of his springs of living water that are buried beneath the circumstances of life. And I have stood knee deep in the heart of those springs as he has then at that point sent rain that carried me up to my neck. And the place that I have been able to declare victory is being very personal in moments like this and saying, I invite you to this wellspring because it is not that I got better or became stronger. I want to cup my hands in the water of this spring and to lift it to your lips so that I can walk this night with you. Our God is a God of victory and his rivers of living water are gloriously tasteful. So I invite you into this journey where a dry and weary land feels overwhelming and I will gladly hand you a spade and I'll come alongside and dig for water. For that place will become a place of refuge to perhaps talk about a subject around some people you would have never talked about before or as a pastor to tell people that you thought you were going to die. But God met you in the middle of it. According to Scripture, this is a place of sorrow and suffering. And yet, my declaration was this. There's a thorn and there's a Savior. And I have met him, and I am not crazy? Well, maybe. That's still up for debate. But I'm not alone. And I will not walk this road alone. And this lyric just moves my soul and closes this psalm. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. I have run over and over for the last weeks, crying out with joy, the reality of this song. The resurrected king is ongoing, constant, beautiful in bringing resurrection to our soul. It begins in praise. As I sing the songs in the night, I am just brought into the heart of his sanctuary. I see something bigger than myself. I see far bigger than the circumstances. I begin to begin, I begin to stop wondering whether I'm going to pass out or die or what my heart is doing. And I begin to hear my heart to sing songs to the King of Glory. And my eyes are drawn to something far greater and so What if my heart beats out of my chest so much that it stops? I am perfectly good at this point that I will just lift holy hands all the way into heaven. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. He does this through my simple asking of him. Acts 16.31 says this, Believe in the Lord 
I don't believe this is a salvation statement. I believe this is an ongoing gospel-centered preaching statement to ourselves. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Glory to God in that. This is what it means when he says in Isaiah 62, 2 and 3, I have seen you in the sanctuary, Lord. I have beheld your power and your glory. Remember, it's a dry and weary land. And I have seen you, Lord. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. The resurrected king is resurrecting my soul. And I'm singing to him. And he is gathering me to himself. I will lift you, lift holy hands to you, lifting your hands in response to the Father who is reaching down with passion and power to your hands, coming together with him in that lift to believe again, lift to worship again, lift in declaration that the same God who has led you into this valley will lead you out and through in the midst of and forevermore. So in this playing of the guitar relentlessly through the night and in this foraging through Scripture, I've had someone mention to me before, hey, pastor, you're our pastor. Not necessarily here, but you're our pastor. We need you to act pastorally. So here's what I promise you as a fellowship. I will act pastorally in worship by lifting holy hands to the Father. I will act pastoral in worship of a God who has met me in the bowels of life and who has led me out. And I will kneel before the Lord, our God, a maker, regardless of the response of anyone else. I will bow my head and bow my soul to a king of glory. I will lift up. I will, you may see some morning where I'm laying face down, fully biblical, fully passionate, and fully following. If you need something more pastoral, keep reading Scripture and I'll keep responding in a full manner to the worthiness of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ and I would invite you to join me. So that we together can carry spades, digging them into the earth and saying, the resurrected king is resurrecting my soul. And some of us can look at the other and say, on our knees, would you like a drink from his spring that has broke forth? In my life. We will never know this about one another until we live out the last verse. I will praise you among the people of God in humility and in passion as long as I live. And it will then have just begun. I am inviting us to come in to say, Lord, in the midst of what feels like defeat, you will lift me from the ashes. And in your name, I am going to make declaration of glory and goodness. Because I can say to you, this has happened. The resurrected king has not left me in a desert wasteland, but he has surrounded me with a spring of living water. And I would love for some of you who are in this room right now and think you're crazy or think you're alone to come wade in with me and I will cup my hand and give you a drink of the Spirit of the living God. Should we, would we do that for one another? And I believe we would fulfill the answer 
to the question that was asked of us. If all leave me, will you be my family? Yeah. Come and drink here. I think Jesus just called. I, I, I don't have a, a sufficient ending for this other than to say, please, um, you're not alone. And we don't have to put on fronts here. You're not crazy. You may feel it. But there is a God who holds all things together, as I shared with the group yesterday, who is supreme and sufficient. This could be an extraordinary morning simply to come to an altar. And just to pray. I think it would be quite beautiful should you see someone that you love at an, at an altar this morning for you to come and join them and, and pull out a shovel with them. It may be that you don't need to sing a song, but you're sitting beside family who know the journey you've been through. And for the very first time, you look and say, I feel crazy and feel alone. Will you pray with me? And as a family, you just begin to pray about this. I, I, I don't want to keep talking because I don't want to orchestrate what I believe the Holy Spirit really wants to do in the midst of a bunch of, a bunch of folks who have just come with a lot of mess this morning because we all have. We're promised this in scripture. This isn't a mystery or some prophecy I'm speaking. We're promised we're going to walk through trouble. We just want us to come into the midst of our trouble to be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so as we sing, this altar is open. Pastors are here at the front. That's just some of us who would love to lift your name to Jesus. Friends surround you. Let us just allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in this moment and for you to experience freedom in him. I'm going to pray this way. I'm just going to pray by reading of the scripture. Would you join with me in prayer? Oh God, you're my God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Listen, Lord, my soul thirsts for you. And my body longs for you. This land is dry. And it's weary. And I can't find water. Yet, I have seen you, Lord, in your sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you and I will sing songs in the night. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, the name of the God of gods and the King of glory, Jesus Christ, I lift my hands this is my prayer for us. Lord, our soul will be satisfied with the richness of your presence. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So we close.